All right, boom, man, we're live. Man, I was just watching uh, Super Bad, and uh, dude, I was just thinking, like, how boring was school, dude? Like, in a classroom, just limited technology, hours and hours of life just passing away, truly not learning anything except for like how to be solitary. You know, don't 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 talk, don't talk to your friends, don't talk unless spoken to, don't get up, don't laugh. Did you have any issues at school? See, I fucking I love school, um, and I, <laughs> I'm a I was a bit of a uh, quiet kid, I guess. Um, kept to myself when I was super young. Uh, didn't have too many friends, and uh, yeah, no, I mean I liked being able to like lose myself inside of a book. Um, you know, my favorite subject was English, and so and I also liked. Like I did really well in elementary school and I got made fun of a lot for it, but I won like regional speech contests. Damn, dude. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Just so I guess I've always been interested in in being able to communicate an idea in layman's terms, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it definitely does. And uh that's like the one of the the last things I expected when I see your your hockey player, right? There's like there's always these misconceptions, and you know what? We'll, we'll put a pin in this real quick. Let's go ahead and introduce you. This is a uh, Daniel Carcillo, aka Carbomb. Uh, they used to call me Bike Wreck because I skated like I was in a bike wreck. Uh, anyways, dude, thanks for spending some time with us today. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So the back to back podcast, I've had Italians on, so I feel obligated, like I should open up a boxing gym or like some kind of pizza parlor you looking for some part-time work buddy just so yeah i mean we can we can toss up some meatballs uh i'll i'll bring the chicken parm get some, oh yeah get some my grandparents. Pizza and cannoli. there you go we get some of my grandparents sauce going uh we can uh we can do it all buddy Mike, okay, so my cousin wanted me to ask you a weird question. He's a yeah. giant fan of yours. He wanted me to ask, what kind of pasta is your favorite? And he he saw uh, you as like a, a penny guy. Penne, yeah, like the yeah. penne rigatones with a spicy <laughs> arrabbiata. That's that's the play. Heavy heavy parmesan too. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> all right dude <laughs> that's good yo man uh, uh first before we even get started dude on behalf of everyone here in the chicago land i just wanted to say thank you for your time here spent playing for the blackhawks hockey you know hockey is it's physically demanding dude and, and as we come to figure out like mentally straining as well right so thank you for the uh for the time you spent as a blackhawk the city was indifferent about you before you came here just because your style of play was hard rough aggressive and uh you gave us a lot of hell when you were on philly um but man when you came here everyone loved you when you when you left everyone loved you even more so i just wanted uh on behalf <laughs> of the chicago land thank you for that thanks man yeah i uh that theme seemed to follow me around you know i was in pittsburgh's organization Got drafted in 03, made the move to Phoenix for two and a half years. And then when I came to Philly, I got traded for a guy named Scotty Upshaw, who was like a fucking fan favorite. And so everybody was like, this guy, like we're trading Upshaw for this guy. And then, you know, Paul Holmgren went to bat for me. He's like, just give him fucking three games and you're going to. And you're going to love them. And I think I fought like seven times in my first three or four games just to, uh, 
you know, just to prove myself. But yeah, me and Scotty were like very similar players. Um, and yeah, when I got to Chicago, there were definitely a lot of questions, you know, especially in that first press conference. And I think that <laughs> they, they, they put me beside Andrew uh, Brunette to kind of announce us both so that he could take the brunt of, uh, <laughs> of the inquiry. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. But our time, my time in Chicago, man, was, um, was pretty amazing, you know, um, being surrounded by leadership like Seabrook, Crawford, Emery, Keith, Jarmelson, Hosa, Taves, Kane. Uh, am I missing any? I mean, yeah, uh, Oduya. Like the list goes on and on. And it was well, just uh, a room of a bunch of dudes that knew how to take care of themselves and knew how to play their own role, had no ego about it. That's and cool. Yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty special, you know, three to four years that I spent there. Got the Stanley Cup too, huh? Two of them. Yeah. <laughs> if, you were, if you were on video, yeah, you'd see my, my, uh, my office and, um, yeah, you just decked I'm, taking out. A, I'm taking a video for you here though. So you can, I'll send you this. There's one. They give you like these little mini replica trophies, uh, when you win. Uh, or like, so for example, like with the Rangers, we've got a couple, obviously we didn't get the cup, but, uh, I was lucky enough to, to, to have four cracks at it in the Stanley cup finals and, uh, lost twice, won twice with the Hawks. Damn. That's cool, man. What a career, dude. What a career. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so there was a, there was a time in my life when I, you know, and Alan Watts says you're under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago, right? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm always continually learning and adjusting. And, you know, there was a time when I retired in 2015, a couple, you know, Steve had just passed away. I was dealing with a lot, uh, you know, just with the NHLPA, et cetera, concussion um, concussion symptoms. And I was angry, man, really angry at hockey. And so for four years, I tried to just do my best to tear it down. And really when I went to partake in a, in a large mushroom ceremony, that's when everything changed for me from, from my perspective of you're creating your own heaven and hell by fighting these people. This organization is a billion dollar machine owned by some of the richest people in the world. You're not going to change it. So what you need to do is, is get out of the negativity and start creating, start getting better and then, and then create things that can, that can catch the people when they're sick. Cause that system is not going to change. That was the message that came through on 5.6 grams and not to mention obviously what it did for my different brain regions and and brought everything back online. But that's really when I, you know, started to live a happy and fulfilling life. And, you know, I could look back on it now, man, and be grateful for every single fucking fight, 164 of them, you know, every single hit that may have contributed to the symptoms because now I'm cured and I've essentially cured myself. And then I can show people, first of all, they knew how bad it was because they saw it. Yeah. And now Even in your pictures, dude, you looked, you looked different. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was on the brink of death, man. I was on a lot yeah. of pharmaceuticals. Um, that's another I was, topic yeah, was, of discussion here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can, we can dive in there for sure. But I was in a really bad way, a really bad way. I was, uh, it's probably 160 pounds. I'd lost about 50 pounds. 
Jesus. Um, and this was going on for, you know, the better part of four years, right? It was like, yeah. But all the while being negative, et cetera, highlighting, I thought I was doing good advocacy. And I was, don't get me wrong. I think certain things have changed. People are a little bit more aware. Players are more aware. And they might question the doctor a little bit more because, you know, essentially on these teams, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Northwestern sponsors the team. They have a doctor right. from Northwestern on the team as the lead medical staff. So it's like, are you really getting the best care that 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 can possibly happen? Or is this a liability thing? And and so it started to feel more so like a liability thing than the right care. Then Steve passed. And that's really why I just, uh, you know, walked away, had to highlight what's wrong. But then again, change that shift, make that shift into that's wrong. But luckily, you know, look at look at what we've done over here. And I'm not the only one like this. We've helped hundreds of vets and athletes over the past six years. Uh, been been lucky enough to to pass this along. That 5.6 grams, we call that a hero dose. Oh yeah, buddy. That's right. a <laughs> That's almost large enough. Yeah, it's a large enough dose where you cannot turn it off and do not go to a concert uh no. on that size of a dose because yeah. everything is heightened from you know auditory, sensory, um, you know, so there's there's very specific settings, as I'm sure you know, that you can do this in. You need to have a guide. Um, somebody that is experienced and the most important thing is you just need to have an intention. And my intention for that ceremony was just to, I just want my brain back or show me a sign tomorrow morning that this is working towards getting my brain back because nothing gets fixed in five hours. Do you know who, uh, Dr. Rick Strassman is? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I had him on the podcast, man, and we were talking about what what a high dose of uh, psilocybin could do. And the way he explained it was he's like, okay, think about it as like a uh, a skiing slope. And throughout mm-hmm. your whole life, you've been going down this skiing slope. And so within that slope, there's these ingrained paths, right? It's just dug in there deep. It's almost permanent what psilocybin or LSD does or a psychedelic does is it adds fresh powder of snow. So now you can make new connections. You don't have to keep rerunning those same paths. And I thought that was kind of a, a brilliant way to describe it. Cause that really resonated for me. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think Paulin uses the same reference. I don't know who originally said that, but essentially the translation is a lot of us, you know, I've been through addiction. Okay. I've been through a pharmaceutical addiction to opiates. Obviously during my career. I was on the same path, man. Yeah. Right. And, and I was, you know, close to death a couple times. And, but I realized now that I was numbing and taking synthetic heroin that was prescribed by a doctor, which feels amazing. And there's no way that you're not going to withdraw when you come off of it. Oh yeah. Because of trauma, like, and it wasn't my head trauma. It was more like spiritual of of maybe some things that I didn't reconcile with my parents as I was growing up or or the sexual abuse that that happened to twelve of us when I was you know in my draft year in Sarnia or a number of different things you know, and so I was governing my life in a certain way from nineteen to twenty five and then I got into like meditation, et cetera, and then 
you know, the biggest thing that these psychedelics do for me, if I can't figure something out, then I can go in, these medicines will show you and put it right in front of your face. And there's no way for you to run away from it. You have to work through it. But then as you work through it, it, it doesn't govern the rest of your life. And so, you know, I've since, you know, obviously tried, I've been eight, almost nine years clean of opiates now, but I tried going back to it before, after I dealt with the trauma, you know, and it was, uh, I was like, Oh, it didn't get me high the same way. You know, it was, it was, um, it just didn't have the same effect. And I feel like that's because I was able to shift my perspective of my trauma, be grateful for it, be grateful for the human I am today. And it made everything a lot easier. A lot of times people look to drugs when they're in like a nasty spot, dude. They, there was these scientists that did this interesting experiment. So they had a, a rat in a cage and they had water in one jug and they had, I think it was cocaine in the other one. And the rat obviously kept going to the cocaine, kept going to the cocaine, you know, and they're like, well, let's expand on this a little bit. What if we what if we made this cage a little bit bigger so the rat could roam around? We'll put some social stuff in there. We'll put more rats in there so it can socialize. We'll put games. We'll put treadmills. And guess what, dude? When they expanded that and the rat wasn't living in, in you know poverty, to say, um, the rat stopped doing cocaine. It would go for the water. Like it tried cocaine once, but then would just like find itself interacting with other rats and drinking drinking the water instead of the cocaine. So I think that says a lot about like mental state of people. Like if you're in, if you have a shitty job and you have shitty people around you and you have nothing like you don't know what your worth is, like dude, you'll you'll find yourself looking for drugs just to fucking escape, dude. Yeah. Yeah, when I was in when I was first in AA, uh somebody described that to me as like attaching yourself to something that finally feels good, whether it's the heroin, the marijuana, the alcohol. But I mean, at any state, if you're going to abuse anything and food can be abused, time can be abused, exercise can be abused, anything can be abused. Um, you know, and, and if that's happening or you're, you're seeing that in your life, you know, if you can't, first of all, try to figure it out on your own. Breath work works really well you know, uh, confiding in a friend, finding a therapist, um, you know, like meditation, uh, exposing yourself to, you know, cold therapy, high heat sauna, some type of suffering exercise, all of these things can be used as tools to improve your life. It's not just, oh, well, I need, I need the medicine or I need the mushroom or I need the LSD that I try to use those other tools before like, the mushrooms is, the, is a last ditch effort for me uh, now. And even, you know, like I won't stop because what I do is I test my brain and my blood every six months, but I'm, I'm constantly doing like an internal review daily and weekly of how I'm operating my life as a husband and a businessman and a friend. And if, if things are off, these medicines have the ability to reset me and, and, and usually there's a, there's a lesson in there and I'm just the type of person where, because we were coming off of the ice, every, every shift, you have to analyze every pass, et cetera. And there's just an, an amazing attention to detail that you learn, uh, through, through the sport of hockey. Um, you know, I've applied that, been lucky enough to apply that to 
to my life um, in business and entrepreneurship and and obviously with the time with my family and my four kids. Yeah, man. I think putting putting yourself in stressful situations does wonders. Like under supervision, uh, you know, it's like that you're not in danger of dying. Like an ice bath, you can get out whenever you want, but it's still so stressful on you. Yeah. After 60 seconds, you know, yeah, you, you don't feel it anymore. <laughs> so if you can just, you know, pause and breathe deeply. I did a Indian sweat lodge when I was 25 and that was like my first real spiritual experience that I've ever had. And it was at a rehab in Malibu. I was coming off of opiates after two surgeries and being overprescribed. That was just the time, you know, back in, back in, uh, you know, Oh five, Oh six. Um, and really what that, what that taught me was to think about when you're in these stressful situations, if you're in a high heat sauna or if you're in a cold tub, if you're in a, on, like on a long run, the best thing to put your mind towards uh, getting out of the pain temporarily would be to make a gratitude list and be grateful. And that's a, it's a practice. And honestly, man, up until two weeks ago, when I went to Colorado and we did 300 micrograms and we climbed a 12,000 foot mountain in Converse that weren't even tied. And we, we thought we were all going to die. We could have, but we didn't. Um, those are the types of things that just really transformed me into, you know, first I'll never wear Malibis. I'm not, I'll never call myself a coach or a spiritual life coach or a guru or anything like that. But when you put yourself in those situations and you make it, it really does when you get grounded again, make you extremely grateful. Um, but I'm just, my mind, I'm a, I'm a bit of a dark dude in the sense that I have this thing inside of me that wants to constantly switch back to, to fighting. I'm just used to it. Yeah. So you say you, you check your brain and your blood every six months. How do you go about doing that exactly? So I was in a lot of treatments in stroke rehabilitation centers, uh, concussion centers where they do diagnostics on the whole human, meaning they check your vestibular system, which is your earlobe fluid where you feel you are in space. Uh, your your ocular system, which is your eye tracking, the eye-brain axis is extremely strong. And so if you see people whose eyes are off, you know they've got some type of cognitive issue right away, which is pretty common for concussion. Uh, they obviously do memory tests um, and uh, uh, some other you know autonomic testing, your heart rate sitting to standing, et cetera. And basically package that together with a diagnostic and a QEG, which reads how the different areas of your brain are communicating, you know, especially in like theta, beta, uh, all of the different um, uh, regions. And then they make an assessment on which part of the brain is shut down due to trauma. And because we have six parts of the brain, misconception is that concussions on the whole brain. It's not. There's usually one that's affected more than the other. And mine was my lower right cortex. Um, and so we started correlating those symptoms and made a plan accordingly to, to wake that part of my brain up. And so I continue to do the QEG and I continue to do the blood work. And the, you know, obviously your blood work, pretty, pretty common practice. Uh, cortisol levels were 
before I went to the retreat three times as high, my QEG came back with all types of abnormalities. And so I just want to continue to make sure that as I continue to partake in medicine that has neuro anti-inflammatory benefits, uh, that yes. I want to just ensure that everything's staying healthy. Was there a hit that you remembered that jarred something loose or was it like multiple hits over time or is there one that like started it? Yeah. So the only reason I know how many times I fought in the NHL is because of the concussion lawsuit that we filed yeah. against the NHL. And it was my, what was scary is I do not remember the first five and they're obviously documented. Yeah. But I remember the last two. Absolutely. And I remember the last two, I think because that's when I got punched in the same side of the head, um, both with the helmet on. So my brain smashed to the right side and you and the back, which is why I think my my lower right cortex was was off. Uh, and yeah, I just remember the symptoms, man. I was like immediately in that penalty box on my sixth concussion. Couldn't look at the lights. I had to go right to the room. I didn't even serve the penalty. I just, I just left, and yeah. uh, you know, crying uncontrollably. Emotions are hard to manage uh, when you're when you're just kind of come coming out of that. And so that one, and then my seventh. I remember my father in law was there with a bunch of uh, waste management people in Philly. He works in uh, in trucking and long hauling and garbage, and and I met everybody after at a you know a welt the size of a tennis ball. And he, you know, to this day, he was, he's still pretty shook by that interaction because I oh, was, damn. yeah, I was a zombie. I was yeah. just kind of looking right through people. Uh, and I couldn't look at my phone after that seventh one for probably close to three weeks, three or four weeks. I couldn't look at a phone or a TV. So light sensitivity was, was, was obviously one of my things. And then I started to slur my speech. Sort Ooh, of that's impulse. a scary one, man. Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, that's early onset dementia, right? Uh, yeah. It's a telltale sign. So, and yeah, I had a couple doctors from like the substance abuse program that were like, when I retired, I obviously didn't say anything before, but like, we're really glad you stepped away. I'm like, okay, thanks for giving me a heads up before guys. Um, but sure. again, liability, right? They, they, liability. I just yep. don't think that they, uh, they, they value liability and not, not violating that over the human being which is which is then valuing money over an individual so i always questioned this hockey community as to as to how much they actually care it's a business yeah it is yeah it is and you know one of my missions was to make sure that these guys know it's a business so then at least you can go in there and drop all the family bullshit and and just play it like a business you know it's so crazy dude that a business comes before the human being. It just that that shit makes me sick, dude. Yeah, I, think, I mean, one of the biggest things I struggled with is if a man, especially young men, don't have number one, we don't have any coming of age ceremonies. We don't have any community, you know, unless that's through work or or these different groups of you know fantasy football, etc. But that's one thing that I really struggled with was to find a community, my community, and, and one of the groups of individuals that I resonate with are, are high operating individuals that were either, you know, SEAL team members or, or high up in the army. 
um, in the Navy, you know, fighter pilots. Uh, and so I've been able to connect with those people on a very high level, intellectual level, work ethic level, attention to detail level, and then also just high operating executives have the exact or very similar mindset from a work ethic standpoint. Uh, and so I think it's just all about finding the community that you resonate the most with and and then being a healthy operating individual within that community, you know, and, and so, you know, I think that's really important. Um, and if you don't have purpose, I think you can almost guarantee yourself that you're gonna feel itchy and you might struggle. Why do you think it was so hard for you to find a, a community, I guess? Cause I feel like that's something I struggle with too, is, is finding like my people. You know, I don't really resonate too well with a lot of people I notice. And then I, I'm not as open and kind yeah. of feel like I'm ostracized or I outcast myself, I guess. I don't know why. Well, first of all, who gives a fuck, right? Uh, if if the community's two people or fucking 20, that doesn't matter to me. You know, I have a very, very small circle and I always have. And I'll I'll do the whole dance. You know, I'll go to the green and I'll be like, oh, Jim, how's the weather? You know, and like I'll have those conversations because I have to, because I have four <laughs> kids under the age of eight, but I won't constantly put myself in those situations because I yes. just don't want to. It's a fucking waste of time. That's you know, interesting, I, man. Cause I got a kid that's six and I find myself doing the same thing with these like retreats and stuff. Like I'm not really engaged, <laughs> but I'll do it. I'll do yeah. it. Well, but it's for him. Right. For so him. we'll, yeah, dude. yeah. So like, dude, I'll, I'll go through and you're not necessarily suffering, but if my kid wants me to do something with a parent that I don't necessarily jive with, well, I'll just have to, you know, grin and bear it, but also just, it's not that bad, right? Like if that's the worst thing I have to do today, it's like, fuck, yeah, wake dude, it up, buddy. Riding gotta... like 20 mile bike rides and 200 degree yeah. heat, you can handle yeah. a fucking conversation for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. And you got a pretty good fucking life, right? But it's, it's, you know, my mind continually switches back and forth to that, to that sort of thing. And if, and if my mind is more into the negative, that's when I know I got to, there's something going on, you know, that I have to fix. And You're self-aware. That, You're very self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to be, I'm, I'm, you know, as athletes, if there's, if my foot is tight, you know, or my pinky, I'll feel it and I have to get it worked on, you know? So it's the same thing with my spirit. And I'm not religious, but, you know, I, I operate on very simple principles. And, and also, too, I'll preface this with I'm not a fucking angel. I'm not perfect. I fuck up all the time and continually fuck up, you know. And so, but I know who I am, you know, and if somebody interprets me challenging them in a business setting as me being mean and and they want to talk about their emotions, I'm not interested in hearing it. Because in business, you don't bring emotion to the table. You bring facts. And if the facts point towards somebody needing a wake-up call and we're in the same business and we have shareholders, well, then it's beholden on you and the best thing for the company and for the shareholders to have that tough conversation. So... You know, there's a lot of people that have moved away from that just can't hang, 
and handle it. And that's okay. And I've given them four or five chances, but you just have to move forward, forward, right? Like if you're just constantly, even if it's a half a step, even if you're crawling, I just, you just please just continue. If anybody's listening to this and you feel stuck, you just move forward and, and make time for yourself to figure out who you are. And then you'll be able to figure out what you like, the people you like to be around. And then you'll seek that out with the right type of thought process and energy that will also seek you out. You know, you get exactly what you put out in this world. That's what I believe. So do you believe you've read the book, The Secret? Yeah. Yeah. I've read that. So do you believe that what you believe in? Nah, I mean, that's a little, the secret. <laughs> that's a little, a little too woo-woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, like, I be, I have these thoughts, I have these beliefs, but if you present it to me in a woo-woo way, I'll shut down and I'll I'll just call bullshit, you so know? You're, you'd like to see the facts of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just like simple, man. <laughs> well, I it's not even that. I'm, I have met so many people in my life and I've had so many interactions with different types of people. At the end of the day, there's like only four or five archetypes of individuals. And we're all living this life governed by our past programming or traumas. And I like to be around people that radically like to look at how they're governing their life on a daily basis. They they exercise. They push themselves mentally and physically. They prioritize their family. They are as honest as you can be. And those are the people that I'm attracted to. Um, and I just, and I think I'm attracted to those types of people because that's who I am. And, you know, I had back in the A rooms, I had a sponsor come up to me and I'm like, Hey man, how do I, how do I pick somebody? You know, I'm kind of lost. And he's like, well, you know, if you see somebody that has what you want, just go up to them and ask them how to get it. And so that's what I do. You know, and um, my parents always said, like, compare yourself to those that are better, not worse. Always. My mom would say that. And I constantly try to do that. I think we do a good job of overcomplicating things as humans. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, we're fucking pretty complex individuals, you know, that we we sure are. But dude, when this this one time I took LSD and I was just on the uh, I was on the beach kind of reminiscing in Florida. And the the only thing that kept playing in my fucking head was just be, just yeah. be. And it was such a soothing and comforting. It felt like a giant fucking hug, dude. I'm like, we overcomplicate. How the fuck is a vaccine going to get politicized? Everything gets politicized. Like there's too much bullshit in the world when we should just be experiencing and loving and just like enjoy the people you're around. Life could be so simple. But it's not. Yeah, somebody sent me today, you know, Russia uh, threatens the U.S. with nuclear war. It's like, okay, well, I can't do anything about that. (laughs) I don't even want to fucking read that. I (laughs) I asked him, please don't send me that ever again. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I do not watch the local news. Neither do I. I do not watch the national news. Energy training. Yeah, I just, I don't watch the capital markets anymore. I tried to play in that game the last four years and it's not for me. I want to live in a world 
that I have an influence in creating, meaning I can put people where I want them in my life. I can also block people from my life. And I am not a control freak by any means, but that's, I just know what I want, man. You know, and yeah. And I, and I, and I try to, I try to get it. I don't try to in business leave a negotiation feeling like somebody lost. I don't like that. You know, there's lots of people that have said business isn't for you. If that's the way you're going to do it. Well, I don't fucking believe that. You know, I believe that there can be a win-win and you can support others, you know? So, um, yeah, there's just, yeah, very, very specific things. So how do you convey that message to your kid, you know, to like live how you're living? Cause it's a, uh, it's, with social media now, it's such a complex, I'm worried for my kid. Cause I can mm. already see like the influence and shit and I don't know. Yeah, man. My six year old daughter asked me the other day about, you know, two men can marry, two women can marry. I've seen this on the TV and I reiterate that if those people want to do that, that is their prerogative. But if you're living under this roof, we are going to govern ourselves a certain way. And under this roof, you see mommy and daddy. Mom, Daddy can't have a baby. Mommy can have the babies, but you need a mom and a dad to have a, to have a, to have a child. You know, yes, there's, there's more layers to that argument about artificial insemination and all that other stuff. But, uh, there's concepts that I instill in my kids. I don't tell them that one way is right. And one way is wrong. You have to respect everybody, but that, you know, we, I've got very good friends who are one of my best friends in Chicago is, you know, he's, he's got a partner and, um, Listen, man, you just, it's pretty fucking simple. Just give people the respect that you want back, you know? And that's that, what I and, say all the goddamn yeah, time. And that's it. But also, too, I'm going to protect my fucking kids yeah. from, from these ideas at fucking six years old, at five years old. Like, these are yeah. very dangerous yeah. things that these kids should not be, con- like, contemplating. I, yeah, I, they shouldn't I believe be very strongly in that. I feel yeah. very strongly as well. That's why I mean, dude, we're also, this is the world we live in, right? So we can either complain about it or we can put parameters in place like taking YouTube and TikTok and all that shit off my phone. And if they have it, they don't, they're not allowed getting on. And I limit their screen time to an hour a day. It's one of the main reasons we moved to Florida because we can all be outside. You want to, you know, um, they're on computers all fucking day in school. So just, you know, they go, they go to church. I grew up Catholic. Uh, would I identify right now as a, as a Catholic? No, but I believe that those principles are important for when you're trying to figure out, you need some sort of foundation to stand on when you're trying Agreed. to, you know? And so that's, yeah, that's how we do it in this house, you know? And eventually, you know, when these kids get to be 18 and, and they can pay their own bills and they can make their own way and they want to think differently, all the power to them, I'll still love them. Uh, and, and, but right now is not the time. You and I are pretty similar, man. My, uh, my ex-wife, she's very religious and, uh, I'm kind of like you. I'm not, I'm not religious, but I think there's good foundation. I think there's good community. 
that you can learn from that. Mm-hmm. So we put my kid in a, a, a Catholic school, you know, and he loves it there and he goes to church all the time and I'll go there to support as well and be there with him, you know. Um, I mean, it's not doing anything negative to me. So shit, why, sh- why wouldn't I go? You know, it's, yeah. it's, ab- it's above me. Yeah, well, and then I mean, too, you can say and say and say and say, actions speak louder than words, right? And these are simple things that my mother said on a daily basis. And it's true. Like you've, you've probably noticed, you know, they pick up all your bad habits. But luckily, they, they pick up all your good habits. They're sponges. <laughs> so if anyone's ever thinking about having a child, like it is by far the greatest gift and is by far the most challenging, but those are the greatest gifts when it's challenging and everybody snaps and everybody yells and we say things that we wish we could take back. But this is all part of the human experience of growing up, you know, and so they see the way I treat people. They see, you know, that I'll randomly pick up garbage or, or randomly help somebody if they need help. Or for example, and this is like a formidable memory for Layla, for, for my six-year-old daughter. Uh, we went on a hike and she was at this farm school and the teacher, it was muddy. Like we shouldn't have, it should have been called off, but we went anyway. And so everybody was slipping and, and I was just, you know, I'm, a, I'm in shape, et cetera. So I was just helping everybody, you know, and she like to this day, daddy, remember when you, you helped my teacher and she fell down and, she, and so like, you know, they see these things and. They say, please, they say, thank you, because I say, please, and thank you, and and I'm respectful, and they'll pick up on that, you know, they'll pick up on everything. Nothing completes you more than seeing when your little kid, your little offspring does something good, and and you kind of just get this warm feeling because you know that you set a good example. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, And, and you know, there's, it's also pretty great when they stand up for themselves, if somebody's being a fucking bully. Yeah. You know, and, and protect other people. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this life is not, I don't, I really don't think it's that difficult. Although, you know, the problem I see today is that we're inundated with how fearful we should be. Um, and so it's again, why I'd limit my time on, on these screens and, you know, there's a quote that Duncan Trussell said, which I fucking love. He's like, there's love some that. poor idiot standing by a waterfall, not knowing how depressed and anxious he should be because he doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, God, that's so fucking perfect because the reality is like, there's only what three, 400 million people on Instagram, Twitter. Like that's not, the whole world's view it's just a very loud minority there's eight billion people in this world so just wake it up you know i lost my phone while fishing uh, a couple months ago and I, i lost it in the lake and you know i didn't try to go retrieve it or i didn't even call my my cell phone company to replace it i'm like i'm just gonna take this as like I'm leaving for a little bit. Don't fucking contact me. I'm not going on social media. This is just give me five days. Dude, those five days, I noticed so much more shit in the world than I've ever had, you know? And I, earlier this year, I wanted to, to like get a flip phone. And whenever I go out, 
Like I'll bring my flip phone and leave my smartphone at home just so I can go experience shit. And if I want to take a picture, I could take a picture. But dude, because like back in the uh, when I was young, maybe like 17, 18, those seem like the the golden years of my life. And I was trying to like, well, why? Why? That was before I had a smartphone and I was just capturing every moment just in my human experience and not bogged down by this constant anxiety that's in my fucking pocket like a cyborg. Yeah, I was uh, I was so fucking lucky. I was born, I was 10 years old when the internet was introduced. We had what pager year were you born? 85. I'm 88. Yeah, so you're right okay. there where, yeah. you know, you had a pager, you were ripping, you were still playing <laughs> play and record as soon as the DJ stopped talking into, you know, 30 seconds into a really good song to get the song. And, and, you know, we were burning CDs. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. And we had a, yeah, I was always the music guy, you know, for, for any hockey that, that we went to like music is an integral part of my life. And I, I believe that they're the true prophets. If you can just listen to the words and, and take it in and yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're growing up in an amazing time in history. It's moving extremely fast. But like I said, we all have the ability to create our own world. And I just don't live in certain worlds that other people live in. And you can, we can even go through like this medical system that we have and this, this, this thing that we constantly get inundated with are these indications of what we are based off of a fucking checklist that a doctor gives you and you get a scale rating and then they can prescribe you a medication that is completely unnatural, that was completely made in a lab. Some of them are legal amphetamines. Most is like legal heroin and we take it and then it exasperates and brings on other symptoms so that they can pile on more prescriptions. And since, you know, creating a company and raising a lot of money and going through the FDA system, the reason that they are all synthetic medicines, which are inferior to full spectrum, is because it needs, I need to create a medication that's within a 0.01% variance for millions of people. And you just cannot do that with natural medicines and you can't patent natural medicines. So then the pharmaceutical companies can't block other companies out for 20 some odd years and, and gain all the revenue, right? So this, this system that I was playing in is fine because there's different rules to that system. And I love I get off on learning about different games and then how to play within those rules to get what I want. And we did that exact thing with, with WeSana and with this program that we created, which was low dose therapy, putting two schedule one substances together, essentially schedule one CBD derived from cannabis and then psilocybin because one of the most impactful things about my recovery journey was definitely the low dose and the chronic use. Uh, and you know, we, we created something and communicated to them and they were actually kind of amendable to it, which was Mm. pretty, 
pretty remarkable. But I think that's the time that we're in right now where if you look at surveys, for example, of how people want to access psychedelic medicine, there's so many people that are so, you know, awake to, I think only 7% of people want to access it through the synthetic version of, of getting it from a doctor and going into a clinic. I think, you know, this, I think there's 65% of people that want to access it through like a full spectrum. So through like measure 109 in Oregon or prop 122 in Colorado. And then, you know, the other percentage is people that just want to own their own consciousness and believe that these grow out of the ground freely in there's ditch weed, there's mushrooms. <laughs> it's like, how does a government say that that's illegal? You know, yeah. so if you start digging into this, you'll, you'll realize very, very, very quickly. The reason that these things are illegal or at least part of it is because they work. Yeah, you dude, know? if it like, what a bad business plan for a pharmaceutical company if they heal you, <laughs> right? Yeah. If they fully heal you, like you just lost out on business. Mm. Hell no, you can't fucking heal somebody. No, no. I mean, but that's the remarkable thing about, so for example, MDMA for PTSD, Rick Doblin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the leader of MAPS, you know, MAPS is a public benefit corporation, but we won't go into that right now. 37 years of developing medicine through the FDA that had number one in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, before the war on drugs with Richard Nixon had amazing efficacy, uh, specifically, you know, for, um, uh, for trauma. And so, you know, they're about to submit their NDA, a new drug application after two th successful phase three studies uh, for using MDMA for PTSD. And I'll just put the numbers out there. The The next best drug to MDMA or these phase three trials is Paxil. I believe it was between seven to 11% successful. What's Paxil? MDMA, is that like an antidepressant or something? Yeah, it's just a pharmaceutical that gets prescribed. It's the most widely prescribed PTSD pharmaceutical right now. I think it's the only actually that's approved, but check that. Um, and so MDMA for PTSD works 67% of the yeah. time. Fucking crazy. Okay. And the reason it does is because it doesn't rely on the drug, right? It, it, it is reliant on the individual and their therapist. And there's 92 hours of talk therapy that's associated with this program. And over 12 weeks, there's only three administrations of the actual hallucinogen which is the MDMA. And what MDMA does is it shuts down the amygdala, which is where our fear response to trauma lies. And so you're able to go into the clinic. First of all, you prepare many, many hours before, and then you integrate for many, many hours afterwards. But when you go in, you'll take this medicine and that's why it's working so well for sexual abuse survivors, trauma specifically that brings on PTSD veterans. They're able to access this trauma, talk about it without that heightened spike of emotion. And then these traumas do not govern our lives anymore. So it's a, it's a curative act, which Were is Were you able unheard. to uh, try that? Because I know you, you touched on briefly about the uh, sexual abuse. Um, yeah, so I actually went through... The and and shifted my perspective 
with mushrooms. I, I don't feel the need to take a therapeutic dose of MDMA. And I tend to stick to natural medicines, you know, so I don't necessarily, it's not a bad thing. I just, it's not, it's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah. What do you feel about, um, like little kids playing contact sports? Like what, like what's your stance on that? I feel like you'd be a wonderful person to ask. Yeah. I mean, listen, by now, if you're a parent, you're making a responsible decision for your kid. There's tons of research out there, Uh, you know, three or more concussions, you're 80% more susceptible to neurodegenerative disease. And so if you want to subject your kid to that at an early age, that's on you. You know, if you're not going to do the research, that's on you. But also too, we have to understand that, you know, not for football specifically, right? Very marginalized communities. It's, It's kind of their only way out. It's one or the other. Um, you know, and so you just have to, you know, think of it from that perspective. But if you're, I don't, I don't see the need to put a a child in harm's way repetitively and sports are already doing this. There's flag now, right? Mm -hmm. So they're getting better. Um, and then, you know, if you, if you get old enough and you're good enough and you need to sign a contract, you know, it's, that's your, that's your decision, right? And you should now be armed with enough information to make an educated decision. If the, if the risk outweighs the reward and, uh, yeah, the risk is, you know, one, one hit can change, can change everything. Yeah. My kids in flag football right now. And I was just doing some research. I, I typed in, when should a kid start tackle football? And Google's actually letting you know that they shouldn't start tackling until they're 14 years old. And I remember back when, when we were kids, it was like, you get in the fucking tackle football right away when you're like six four years old. old. Six, four yeah, years dude, yeah. How crazy is fucking, that? Yeah. Bounce, bouncing your head off shit. We just didn't know. Right. Like nobody was, or I should say like the fucked up thing is they knew back in 1995, right? They had all right, of yeah. these, yep. they, like, why did they create all these panels and all of these, these uh, organizations within the organization that were looking at this research? And then my issue is then they held that information from us, right? So I wasn't able to make an educated decision. And I felt like we should have been told. And then, you know, most of the haters and the, you know, the bar stools of the world will say, well, you sh- you would have signed anyway. I'm like, fuck yeah, I would have, but I still wanted to know. I still feel like I got violated. You know, um, I still would have made the trade off most likely, but, but that information just has to be accessible. You know, what kind of precautions did they take with you? Like when you got your bell rung, like what, what, what did that situation look like? Like, did they tell you just like, you know, take a couple days to yourself and get, get back out there full speed ahead, take a test. Yeah. yeah, We had a, we had a brain test that was done at the beginning of every year. It was the exact same test. So by year 15, cause I'd done three training camps prior, you memorize it, you know, and then you also know, (laughs) you also know that it's the same test that you're going to do when you're hurt. So what do you do? You know, you vomit just enough to know that you're, it's not going to throw up a red flag. And then you can get back. And the reason you do that, number one, you don't have the information of how risky these hits to the head are. 
And then number two, you're a professional athlete and you're a fucking savage. And there's an 18 year old kid sitting right behind you. And if you get out in one game, that kid comes in and plays a good game, plays another, plays another, you're done. You're out. So, um, so yeah, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of compounding, compounding factors. And then essentially, yeah, they, they'll send you home and, and they'll just tell you, you know, come back to the rink when you don't have symptoms. Like that was always the instruction. And so, and then, you know, we're really good at faking it. You yeah, know? of course. Um, Cause you don't want to lose your goddamn spot to that 18. Exactly, dude. So yeah. damn, yeah, those are the parameters. What do you think the, uh, the reason why athletes get paid so much? I'm trying to like, is it because of the damage it does on your body? Is it be, is it because more of the entertainment factor where people are buying tickets? Like what no, is I it mean, the, it's... the moving aspect? You got to move up, like uplift your life and move to a different state. Like what's the, uh, the deal? It's the hardest thing on earth to do. And there's not many people that are built for it. That's why there's only 750 so hockey players every year. That's why there's only a certain amount of NFL players every year because most people would quit because the suffering and the risk and the stress is so great. And there's only a select amount of human beings that for whatever reason, could be the 10,000 hours of training, or it could be the trauma that they've been through, or it could be the circumstances that they grew up in in the neighborhoods, et cetera, that will fucking commit to that wholeheartedly. And yeah, man, there's just not many men or women that will subject themselves to that for a very long time. And then there's certain guys that make it for a year, but have to bow out, you know? And so... It's just really hard, man. You know, it, it's it's a really difficult thing to do to commit yourself to every fucking day. For 16 years, I was committed to one thing, which was being the best hockey player I could be. And so that meant anything I ate, sleep, uh, just, you know, who I interacted with, alcohol, all of that was constantly... I was constantly judging myself. That's as crazy, to, man. You're like literally property of the NHL. Like your body is the NHL. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in your contract, you can't you can't ski, you can't do certain things, and if you do and you get hurt outside of the rink, they'll throw your contract out. So, god damn. But do like, you, that's not you know, it, it yeah. is what it is. You know what I mean? And so, I just think um, nobody talks about it this way. Right. And so if nobody's talking about it, then everybody in my purview is going into it blind. Like these kids are going into it blind. And so now if more guys are talking about, yeah, there's some great things about it, but there's also some really fucking ugly things. And so just be aware. And your agent ain't going to tell you because he's making 3% rip. He don't give a fuck. Your financial agent, he don't give a fuck because he's making 1% rip. Right. And these guys are going to be forced. He's going to be pushing you to keep playing. Yeah. They just want you to keep fucking playing, you know, but you would, you would think that agents that these financial managers would be more invested in the human being because the longevity of the human being means more money for, for the people around them, for, for the entourage to keep feeding it. Uh, but they, they don't, you know, and some of them are, some of them are starting to change. Um, I think it's beholden on, you know, former athletes to kind of 
show people the way, right? And that's what's so exciting about some of these medicines too, because there's they're neuroprotectant. Like CBD, everybody should look this up. Literally, the U.S. government holds the only patent on cannabidiol, also known as CBD. And it's a patent that protects against specifically neurodegeneration. Come on. That means it could protect against, you know, um, aging. That means it protects against um, brain injury. That means it protects against, and in the patent, it's specific. They specifically call out neurodegenerative disease like uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, and, and ALS and Parkinson's. The U.S. government holds this patent, okay? And, you know, think about the hell that everybody went through to finally get in 2018, the farm bill. They, they filed this patent. I'm looking it up right now because I don't want to misspeak. Um, I think close to back in the, hold on, here it is, cannabinoids, antioxidants as neuroprotectants. When did they file this? <laughs> 1999. Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, buddy. Sick, right? So you start like getting into this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but what I do like doing is like, researching why something is so heavily stigmatized and then you start uncovering and and peeling back the onion and you're like oh well that makes sense because it fucking works i hate that (laughs) i fucking hate that dude i love it well i mean that there's people that there's people just like you and me who are in control of what we put in our bodies yeah, but that, think about how fucking beautiful that is now. And you have this thing called, you know, the curiosity chamber, and you're literally able to go wake people the fuck up. It's yeah. fucking amazing. You're you right. know, to like that have aspect somebody of oh dude. You see the look on somebody's face after they you take them through a ceremony on five grams. Like if I could get addicted to anything, motherfucker, I can get addicted to that. What's your <laughs> what's your schedule look like when you're taking if you're doing microdoses or if you do like a, a big hero dose every once in a while? Yeah, so the hero is very it's reliant on myself of when again I'm I'm seeing these exterior things and I'm either I'm either, you know, there's way too much stress or there's a problem I have to solve. It's not all about, you know, business and and etc. Or if there's someone I have to help, right? If, if, if there's somebody that's constantly reaching out, seeking this, then, then I will help connect them. Right. Um, so, uh, but the microdose is, is a pretty religious thing that I do on a, on a weekly and monthly basis. Uh, I always take 60 days off during the year and that's usually around December, January. And then I am pretty consistent with a four to five day on, and then a two day off every week. So one thing that everyone should know, if you're taking natural medicine, you can tend to build up a tolerance, especially like CBD. But what I found was interesting, you know, and then obviously you reset just like coffee, like try it, you know, take the weekend off, you go Monday and you'll probably be sweating. Um, But psilocybin, it, it seems to have the opposite effect. And I don't know if this is for everybody, but I tend to use less of the medicine now, um, you know, and, and in a more infrequent basis. Like I was pretty religious for the first two years. It was five on, two off, and I wasn't, I wasn't straying. And I only took 30 days off. But now I'm, I'm just so, I feel so good uh, that I don't 
I don't, I don't need much, you know? What sort of things do you notice, dude? Cause when I, when I microdose, like everything becomes more vibrant, like colors and like my vision becomes better, dude. It, like it becomes HD, even on just like a, such a small microdose. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest things that I notice, the number one thing I notice is it allows me to be more in the present moment. So the animal brain, the lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, that's constantly chattering is not silenced, but just not as loud. And I sometimes look there, but most of the time I just look away, you know, so... And then if you're doing that, if you're in the present moment, you know, you're engaged in your kids and you're looking in their eyeballs and you're, you're engaged in their sport and they're happier. And then your wife's happier because you're just present. That's all women want. And then not all they want, but it's, it's a big thing. (laughs) Uh, And then, (laughs) you know, in business, when I'm at the computer, I am engaged in what I'm doing and I'm taking in all the information. The the information you can take in is infinite. As Alan Watts said, like you can, you know, he laughs at, at, uh, you know, us being able to control these decisions because, you know, you're not controlling the other person on the other side, et cetera. So there's so many things that are out of your control, but in the present moment, you're taking in the most information that you can to make the best educated decision that you can. And I think everything is pretty much an educated guess. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, you're, I, you know, I also use it like recreationally, right? Like, it's like, if I want to, if I know I'm going out with a buddy who likes to drink, I'll, you know, pop a couple because it'll help me have less, you know, uh, in a situation where I might not be, as as strong so i use it yeah i use it a number of different ways use it golfing because like you just said it does I hone do the in. same shit dude yeah yeah so um yeah man it's a tool that uh that you know can be used numerous different ways and i'm just you're really the first podcast where I'm starting to talk about this outside of a medical context because I just sold the drug development program um, to a company and I sold the clinics and I'm kind of a free agent right now. Nice, and, dude. Congratulations. So, yeah, it is awesome. Nice. Good yeah, on you. So, um, so yeah, yeah. And just focusing, you know, on, on this project called the Healing CREI with my partner, Cody Shandra and a bunch of others and Joe Caltabiano and Tyler Zakovich and David Kivitz and Aaron Robb, just a fucking stellar team of dudes who um, uh, are going out and, and trying to address the infrastructure and access problem that, that, you know, when you go to a doctor, they write you a script, you go to Walgreens, you take it at home. Well, this medicine is done in the clinic in brick and mortars and setting, as I said, like the area that you do this medicine is, is so important. And so we're building that infrastructure for ketamine clinics and for, for MDMA clinics and partnering with physicians. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, I'm trying to build community. I'm trying to find my way, trying to be a little bit more vocal, um, with, with my crew doses and, and, uh, yeah, there's a few other things that I have going on that I won't discuss because, you don't need to tell the world everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, just, just focusing on education awareness and, and trying to give back so that I can keep what I have. You've become 
immersed in this and like there's no way you knew that your life would take this route like after the first time you took mushrooms right this was over a long period of time because dude you're fucking knowledgeable as shit so you like i can see that you like you're taking this as serious as you took your nhl career you're just invested completely (laughs) yeah so yeah it saved my life man i was extremely suicidal and I wanted to end my life. I wanted to unburden my family from seeing me govern myself the way I was. And Can we without, touch on that for just a little bit about the uh, your yeah. suicide? Yeah. Yeah. So I got to a point. So from 2015 to, to, to June of 2019, I spent a half a million dollars of my own money. I went again to the stroke rehabilitation centers, et cetera. Uh, a good day was five to eight symptoms. A bad day was 15. Jesus. Dealing with slurred speech, headache, head pressure, insomnia, impulse control issues, appetite loss, memory loss, short-term and long-term, uh, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Um, and I got to a point you know, after the stroke rehabilitation centers had took all my money, uh, I moved on to, you know, float tanks, um, a hyperbaric chamber, um, moxa acupuncture, cranial sacral, which helps to decompress the brain, reflexology. You're trying so fucking hard. Oh, I tried everything. Yeah, man. And, you know, I documented this. Like I told everybody, I'm like, hey, man, this didn't work for me. And I don't fully believe in that. But go try it because without hope, then you get to a point where I was in June where I wanted to end my life. And so I had just seen a study, I think a year and a half earlier in 2017 or 18 of a brain under fMRI. And it's that really cool Beckley SciTech where the, the brain regions are connecting. I'm sure you've seen that image. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Um, and I'm like, damn, that's what the right and left brain hemispheres communicating. And then I was like, that's what these stroke rehabilitation centers and doctors are telling me. And, and this can happen with like 30 bucks worth of mushrooms. Uh, I'll try that. So I didn't quite know how difficult it was going to be. Um, but luckily I'm just, you know, I'm a very just strong willed individual. I've had at that time, I was about 18 years deep into therapy. So I knew myself for sure. Um, not as intimate as I know myself now, but, uh, and then, yeah. And I partook and cause I thought it could work and, um, you know, what happens with mushrooms specifically just psilocybin mushrooms is it, it exasperates what's at the forefront of your mind. So I went there thinking, you know, these guys, they surprised me. First of all, I went there to, to get CBD genetics and thought I was going to start farming and, they're like, no, man, like, you know, we're going to do this. I'm like, huh, perfect. Let me grab an Uber. I'll grab a case of beer. Uh, I'll go grab the smokes and we'll, we'll do it. And they're like, no, man, like, no, it's <laughs> not what this is. I'm like, okay. So then we fasted for five hours and we took down this matter, which was, I mean, extremely hard even just to digest. And immediately, um, everything that I thought I was, like basically I was in this victim mindset, right? Where, where, what was me? And I was, I was very much, it's, that's the problem. What the fuck happened to me? And what, you know, this is still happening. So I got to highlight it. And, and it was like, 
um, my body didn't want to let go or my ego didn't, and my whole body was shaking. And I eventually started dry heaving pretty heavily, uh, had to go outside and, and was just kind of screaming for a good hour. Like, you know, what is this and, and, and why am I like this? And, and, uh, and then the medicine started to kind of bring me around the farm, which was the first time I'd been there, only been there for about six hours. So I was lost. And then eventually on my like 18th fucking lap around this farm, I was like, this is what is happening in your life, man. You're fucking waking up and you're doing the exact same thing over and over and over again. And you can choose to just not fucking do that. Yeah. And I was like, there was like, it was just a huge aha. Dude, it's so fucking crazy that like the answer sometimes is right in front of you. And sometimes you just need a fucking tool like a mushroom to bring it out and analyze it. And it had to punch me in the face. Like I had to, I'm not, that's why this, this works so well for, you know, veterans, executives, athletes, just high, high operating thinking and it works well for everybody else don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not trying to subject it i'm just talking in kind of my own experience but i wanted to see that like it's like put me through the shit right so that i can so i can get out of this shit um and then for the last you know so that happened for about three hours and i was so exhausted from and i was you know all the while dry heaving etc and uh, I went and slid down on the couch, and then everybody was trying to calm me down. They put 432 hertz music on, and then um, uh, they then it was beautiful. It was, it was, you know, one of the guys said, you know, this is why we wanted you to come here, man, because because we want you on this team. And I said, me, why me? I'm such a fucking loser. And he's like, no, man, like you're fucking. You're a special dude and we love you. And then bah, the fucking, as soon as I heard the word love, everything like just opened up, you know, and I, I went to a different space and then it was pretty beautiful for about 40 minutes. And, and then I passed out uh, because I was, I think I was just so exhausted. Uh, yeah. And then I woke up the next day and I describe it as feeling the way I should, you know, I had a little bit of energy. I wanted to wake up. I didn't want to sleep in. I wanted to call my kids and see them. I wanted to get home to them, but I knew that the work wasn't done. Stayed on the farm for about a week. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I went outside like I, the second day on the farm, I think, or third day, I, I I forgot my glasses and it didn't trigger a headache. I'm like, whoa, the fuck is going on here? And then even on the FaceTime the next day, my wife's like, you're, you sound completely fucking different. I'm like, because yeah. you were slurring before? Yeah, I was slurring. Yeah, heavy, heavy yeah. slur. It wasn't there anymore. So like all those symptoms that I described, lessened in intensity, all but faded away. And within a two week, two to two to, I would say two week to two month period. Some took longer than others. Um, and like I said, I knew nothing gets fixed in five hours. So we made a nice little low dose regimen with also some, you know, CBD keef, which is, you know, all my stuff that I take, food, et cetera, is minimally processed as possible. Um, so we used the keef, all organically grown, no till, et cetera. So I started to learn about that. And uh, yeah, six months after I retested my brain and blood, came back with no abnormalities. Um, and uh, blood work was completely clear. And I'm like, well what do I do now? And so then I got involved with 
decrim nature. And we started, you know, to advocate in Washington, D.C. with Initiative 81 with Melissa Lavasani, who's a part of the Psychedelic Medicine Coalition, who we've done two congressional briefings with. So she's trying to change the, the um, you know, Congress's image and in, in, in education, et cetera, for uh, the use of funding for veteran communities and, and others. And, uh, and then I just thought, meh, this is cool. Like probably help a thousand people, 10,000 people before I die. How do I make a medicine out of this? Because the FDA doesn't have an approved traumatic brain injury medicine and we get prescribed Wellbutrin and all these things that, that just, that smoked me. And so then I just, you know, I, I, I waited three hours after a soap event in Pittsburgh for Rick Doblin, I told him my story and he's like, I give me your email. I'm going to connect you with some drug developers. I want you to talk to them, tell them your story. And and I want you to do something with this. I'm like, okay. So then, you know, I picked my team, put a team together, um, and, and, you know, communicated my story in a deck and then raised money. And, you know, a year and a half ago, March 11th, we spoke to the FDA. Um, and this all happened within, uh, you know, two-year two-year span um we've owned and operated clinics in the space um we've you know i've like i said i've done those two congressional briefings i've offered my story and um know how to measure 109 which is an adult therapeutic use program it's the first state in oregon that's open right now that you can fly to and legally in that state not federally but statewide do psilocybin uh, in a service clinic or a service center with a with a licensed facilitator that'll sit with you with a with a manufacturer that's licensed and and a, a testing facility that will test the material that you're going to eat so there's there's a rigorous kind of process and it's all full spectrum which is fucking amazing um prop 122's next and and yeah man and then you know I'm just I support the people that you know reciprocate um to me and you know if you'll if you follow me I'm not a hundred percent right, but I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the, the people that I support, like I said, is just very small, you know, heroic hearts project, Jesse Gould from day one, and he'll be, you know, uh, a forever type of friendship. Um, uh, Matthew Wiz Buckley, um, from, uh, no fallen heroes, Cody Chandra, who I met, you know, four years ago, um, Chandra capital, um, and, uh, you know, Jonathan Wilson from NV health. We're doing this, this monster mash um, uh, events and, and the veterans were, you know, doing 211 miles. Uh, but just, you know, those type of Melissa Lavasani psychedelic medicine coalition. Um, I'm sure there's others, you know, Paul Austin's great from third wave. Uh, and then, you know, grateful for, for everybody that was involved in starting. We and, and, you know, Chad Bronstein, Aristotle Loomis, like just, you know, people that have, um, help support this journey and, and it ain't over. There's, there's so much more work to be done. I like the way you speak about it though, because you're not coming from a place of like, <clears throat> it's your product. So you want to sell it. And that's the only reason you're doing it. Like it works. Like, I feel like you were the perfect person to be kind of showcasing this just because of your fucking past. What has happened to you? You were on literally the razor's edge about to leave earth and you found something and it brought you back. It literally brought you back, which is a lot of people. I know you know this. A lot of people don't make it back. Like once (laughs) they hit that point, I mean, dude, then you start taking pharmaceuticals and you start having more side effects. 
depressed, the depressive thoughts come even harder. What's the point of living? I have nothing. Goodbye. Good night. You know? Yeah. It's, I mean, you stare, like I said, I've always had these light and dark pieces that have always been a part of me. And sometimes the dark wins and, and because I wanted it to, because I need it to. And, uh, you know, that's, that's no different right now today. Like Jordan Peterson says, you know, like be a fucking monster and then learn how to control it. You know? I love that quote, dude. I fucking, fucking great. love that quote. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. great. He's you know, brilliant. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. Um, these types of ideas I think are really important and I think they're important to communicate and, yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was in a bad fucking way, but I also had, I just, I knew regardless of how I was planning, I don't think I ever would have, cause I just had this, had this inkling and I've always kind of had this. I wanted to be a priest when I was younger. I was thinking about this the other day after the, Whoa. yeah, after the 300 months, I know. Right. Um, You're fucking think, fighting everybody. You got to try uh, to fight those demons next. <laughs> I think, I think it was more so about, about like, finding a community before hockey yeah you oh, dude, i was young yeah man i was like yeah. fucking seven you know oh, where i was geez. like okay. oh yeah yeah where i was like yeah i was a bible thumper it was um is what it is uh so <laughs> <laughs> but i i i don't know i i i guess it's um the question of more right like even when i was playing hockey i'm like fuck is this really it i'm fucking pushing a fucking rubber puck around like and i'm beating people and this can't be it and then even you think like, that's a common thought the overanalyzing gets, shit like that i do that too a lot that gets to yeah i mean dude i overanalyze everything like you know um <laughs> that's just how we are we're allowed to think about thinking you know we're we're the only beings that can do that but and we have what is it close to thirty thousand, fifty thousand thoughts a day like, that's a fucking if you're like me and you don't know how to quiet it down, yeah, um, it could spin you out pretty quick, you know. Yeah. So that's why I have all these tools. But uh, always knew I was going to get better. And then I also, and you know, I'm going to have to wrap here soon just because I got to grab my kids. Um, I also know in my heart that there's numerous ways to access the same thing or the same tool, and because this tool one of them being mushrooms and psilocybin can, can impact a lot, a life so positively. I do not shit on one way or the other, meaning I support decrim nature, regardless of how strong that community and those personalities are and how much they hate the pharmaceutical industry. I supported a I started a pharmaceutical company because I believe that some people are going to want to access this through a prescription and from a doctor. That's millions of people, you know, and then I support measure 109. I support prop one, two, two. I support these, these, you know, avenues to get full spectrum medicine. Cause I think people are educated enough to know, no, I don't want the synthetic. I'll just go to Oregon or I'll go to, you know, Colorado and I'll partake there. And, uh, you know, and you know, people should have access to their own consciousness, right. Where the decrim comes in. So Agreed. I support them all, man. And I don't put them down. So. Wonderful, man. Daniel Carcillo, thanks for popping by, dude. I had a blast, man. Listen, I'm gonna add your name to our sub list for men's league. And if you're ever in the Chicago <laughs> land, you just <laughs> we got a jersey for you, buddy. <laughs> Let's go. All right. I, yeah, uh, How can yeah, people find I, you on uh, on social media? And yeah, like, so Daniel Carcillo 13 
is is Instagram, Carbomb Boom 13 is Twitter, and just you know, Daniel Carcillo everywhere else, like LinkedIn, Facebook. Yeah. Cool, man. I appreciate you doing this, brother. That, that was fun. You're a knowledgeable person, dude. And I'm so happy yeah. that you're with us and booming. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you having me, man. All right. Take it easy. Everyone at home, thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.